please send for me this evening to Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, friends, my topic for this evening is true love, uh, true love. And we're looking at this uh, very famous and well-known parable. I think everybody knows it. I think everybody knows the prodigal son, and everybody knows the parable of the good Samaritan. We're so familiar uh, with its context, contents. But I wonder whether we really understand it. We get some idea from it, but did we get what Jesus is really saying in this and teaching through this parable? Well, let's see, friends. We know that it's about care, and we know that it's about compassion. Well, the term uh, Good Samaritan has made its way into our language. We talk about a person who gives help and sympathy to others, to the needy people especially, or he's a Good Samaritan, or she's a Good Samaritan. We know there's an organization for the Samaritans uh, who help in a, do a, a grand job, really, in helping those who are struggling to cope uh, with life and life's difficulties uh, and really uh, cannot see any light at the end of the tunnel. We know uh, they do so well to try and help these people. So we're thinking along the lines of caring for others and of compassion, about love, but about real love. Because here was a man who thought he loved, here was a man who thought he loved his neighbor, really, he didn't do it as he ought to have done it, as the law required. We're talking, though, not only, friends, about love to our fellow man, or people just stop there, as we'll see tonight, but we're talking also about the love of God, God's love for us, God's care for us, God's compassion for fallen men and women. This is what we want to think about uh, tonight. Now, Jesus told uh, this parable uh, in response to the question of this uh, lawyer who came here in verse 25. The lawyer uh, stood up in the crowd and he asked Christ this question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, it's a good question. It's a question we should all be asking. There's nothing better and to think about eternal life. What's, what wonderful thought that is, eternal life. Life that will go on forever. Life that begins now and goes on forever and ever and never ceases. To be in a place of eternal happiness and of, uh, as we sang tonight, a place where there is no sadness and none of the distressing things and despairing things of life. What shall I do, he said, to inherit eternal life. Well, he was a lawyer, and he, a lawyer not in terms of civil law, but he was a lawyer in terms of biblical law, the Old Testament law. He knew the Pentateuch, he knew uh, Moses' law, and he studied it. This is what he would be spending his hours doing, studying that law. So Jesus turns the, the question around, and he says to him, well, what do you read in the law? What's written in the law? How do you read it? What's your understanding of that law? 
when it comes to this particular question about doing something to inherit eternal life. And a man very correctly answers, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. He's spot on. He's got it. He's, he's understood what God requires. This is the exact summary that Christ gave when he was asked the same question, what's the greatest commandment? He said the same thing. Love for God in his wholehearted way, and secondly, love to one's neighbor. So he's giving a scriptural uh, answer. But then he goes on to say, well, the Lord said, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. Uh, but he, willing to justify himself, uh, said, And who is my neighbor? Now we read in verse 25 that, that this lawyer came in a, and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I don't think he was being entirely hostile here. The word tempted could be taken in a negative or in a positive way, but he's, he's sort of testing the Lord uh, to see uh, what insight he has into this question of all questions about eternal life. He wants to see whether he's going to give him that scriptural answer. He already knows. This is, his, this is what his conclusion is. And he's sort of testing the Lord along those lines. But also we see uh, here uh, how he homes in on the second commandment. He's given the right answer, but then he, he willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, who is my neighbor? He's, uh, to whom, uh, who are the ones uh, around me who I should love? He seems, as it were, to skip over that, the first part, the first and most important part of the commandment, which is that vertical love to God that he should have and what God requires from him. And he seems to be just focusing on the second part, love to his neighbor. Perhaps he thought that uh, he was, he'd already kept the first part. Perhaps he thought he already did love God with all his heart and soul and his mind and strength. But, uh, or perhaps he just neglected it, as so many uh, people do. And he was just focusing on uh, loving uh, his uh, neighbor. Well, friends, uh, this man, as he is, is also typical of so many of us. And it's what was wrong with him and with his question shows that there is also... What was fundamentally wrong with his question is also shows to us and reveals to us something that is typical of so many of, of us and our way of thinking. This particular lawyer, his question when he said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It seems that he thought he had to do something or he could do something to gain eternal life. He thought that uh, he had to live a good life and to work for his salvation. He said, just tell me as it were, make it clear to me what it is I need to do. What shall I do to gain eternal life, to inherit eternal life? His emphasis is on himself. His thinking here is, here is a command for me to keep, which I can do and I can obey. He's got no real sense 
of his inability to keep God's law. He's got no idea that, uh, he hasn't understood that God gave the law, the Ten Commandments, to teach man he cannot keep it. And he needs to be converted. Then he can begin to keep it. He's still in his unconverted state. And he thinks, I can do it. I can keep this law. Just tell me what it is. I can earn God's blessing. I just have to be a good person. I have to live out a good life. And then God will look upon me. And God will reward me with eternal life because I've lived in such a way that is pleasing to Him. That's how He thought. And that's how we think, isn't it? That's how we tend to think in our, in our days. As long as I live a good life, as long as I keep out of trouble, as long as I don't indulge in the, the big sins, as long as I uh, be, be helpful to people, as long as I'm not entirely selfish, uh, you know, as long as I help people with their shopping and visit somebody who's, who's sick in hospital and put my donation into the, the charity box or the offering when it comes around, as long as I do these things, well, surely God will look on me and accept me and reward me if I'm trying my best. I can do it. I can do it. Well, friends, that's a fundamental problem with us that we think we can do it. We think we can get to heaven by ourselves and keep God's commandments. We can't do it. It's impossible to do it. I tried it, friends. You can't do it. The more you try, the more you are certain to fail. And you'll realize it. You don't believe me, you can try it. You'll fail. That's what the law is telling us. Who of us, friends, have kept, have loved God as we ought, with all our hearts and souls and mind and strength, 24 by 7, every time? Who of us have done everything that we have done because we love Him? Who of us have loved our neighbor because we love Him? We haven't done that. We've failed in that point. The message of the Bible from beginning to the end is so clear for us. God gives eternal life to us as a gift, as a free gift. Salvation is not to be earned. Salvation is not to be worked for and striven for and sweated for and lived for. Salvation is given to you freely by God. Given to those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a gift of grace, undeserved, unmerited, unwarranted, free. God gives it to those who turn to Christ. That's one thing uh, this man didn't get. And that the other thing he, he didn't get here was that uh, he, he's, as it were, bypassed, it seems, that first commandment. We don't know exactly why, but he's just focusing on the second. And again, that's what we tend to do, isn't it? We tend to just bypass. We think we've kept God's law if we're somewhat kind to, our, to one another, to our neighbors. And we forget that the main commandment, the greatest commandment, is that God requires from us our love. That we love Him, that we worship Him, that we adore Him, that we live our lives for His honor, for His glory. A sincere love for Him, a wholehearted love for Him, goes out to Him. This is what the Lord requires from us. And we don't realize uh, these things. This is 
this is we were made, friends, for this very purpose. The reason we were made is to be, if, you might, if I may put it like this, in love with God. <laughs> to be in love with God, to be loved by Him and to be in love with Him. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the glorious Trinity, glorious in all His ways, the best of all beings He is. He is worthy to, of our love. He is glorious. Uh, he is immensely kind. He is gentle. He alone is good. He alone is righteous in all His ways. You look at the God from any angle and you can only admire and worship and adore Him. He is holy. He is merciful. All these things and so much more. This is what God is like. And he deserves to be loved. Do I love him? Do I love him with all my heart? Am I a worshipper of this God or this man? He now, he says there in verse 29, willing to justify himself, he says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? He, he perhaps does need some clarification here because uh, he, when he says, who is my neighbor, there were actually a number of different interpretations of this uh, by the, uh, the people of the time. Some people were saying, uh, well, this, this uh, love your neighbor, it means love your neighbor and hate your enemies. And another group of people were saying, well, love your, it means love your neighbor, the Israelites, and only the Israelites, your fellow Jew. And then there were the Pharisees who were saying, well, love your neighbor means love your neighbor, the Pharisee and them alone. That's who it extends to. There are all these different viewpoints. And perhaps this lawyer, lawyer with a sharp mind as he had, is still confused. And he wants Jesus to clarify what, he's, what is the right, who is my neighbor. But also it does say to us that he, was, he wanted to justify himself. And that tells us a little bit more about him. It tells us that he wanted Jesus to say, really, well, what is the limits of my love? Who, who are my neighbors? Uh, tell me, Lord, how far should my love extend? Is, I love my family. I, I love my friends. I, I love uh, those who love me. Uh, and I love the, my, uh, my uh, Jewish neighbors and friends and Israelites. I don't love uh, the, the Samaritans, I don't love the Gentiles. Is that right? The extent of my love is only to hear. Lord, he's actually saying, uh, Lord, who can I eliminate from my love? He wants the Lord to say, yes, you're right. You're, you're right. And the, your love is within that circle. And uh, you're going along the right path. You're well done. He's trying to justify himself. That's not what he should be doing. That's not the way how love works. Limits it. And the Lord's going to show him through this parable, hey, you got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. Because it's not uh, who, who you, you're asking the wrong question. It's not who is your neighbor that you should be asking. The question you should be asking is, am I a loving person? Am I neighborly? Do I have the character of love that shows mercy, compassion, pity to all who I come across, regardless of their, 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 their creed or their color, their nationality, their background, their status in life, whoever they are, 
I'm loving towards that person. That's what he needed to know and to be taught. Do you have the character of love? And that can only come through conversion. Because naturally we're just like him. We limit our love. We think maybe we love our neighbor, but really we only love those who love us and who are kind to us and who are good to us. And we hold back our love from people we don't, who hate us or are our enemies or people who are just outside of our circle. We, we will not extend our love to them. But when we are converted, our love goes to those even people outside our circles. So the Lord told him this parable of the Good Samaritan, a man who was traveling on the, from Jerusalem to Jericho, distance of some 17 miles, and it's quite a steep descent, some 3,000 feet, uh, so it was quite a, a way to, to go down. Uh, it was a notoriously dangerous road. It was known, had a nickname, the Way of Blood, because along the way, it was notorious for uh, violent thieves and robbers to, to jump on people and attack people, and a vicious and uh, murderous uh, men. So it was known, and it had this reputation for being a way of blood. And sure enough, this, this man, this as Jewish man, as he's going along, traveling along this road, he's ambushed by robbers and thieves. And they jump on him, they surround him, and they take everything from him that is good. Everything that he has, uh, is, is, uh, he is robbed of those things. He is stripped even of his very garments, we read. And they take his donkey, and worst of all, they beat him uh, senseless. And relentlessly, they, they, were, they attack him. Why do that? Why not just take his thing? No, they have to also attack him. And they leave the poor man half dead on the road and needing help fast. He's going to die. Unless he is helped, he needs some assistance. He cannot get up. He cannot help himself. Somebody must help him. Oh, here comes a man. Here comes a man who will help him. Perhaps he can in his eyes see a man approaching a fellow Jew. Surely, oh, he is a priest. Surely he's going to help me. A priest that comes along and sees. He's a religious man. He sees what's happening. He sees this man. He can't avoid him because the road is quite narrow. It's not a broad road. Uh, and this priest, well, he's an intellectual man. He knows what he should do. He's an educated man. He's come from the temple. And he sees the man at the temple there in Jerusalem. He's been serving there, doing, carrying out his duties. And now he's making his way down. He, but he sees the mangled body of this poor man on the street. And he, wants, he knows he should get involved. But he doesn't. It's inconvenient for him to get involved. It's time-consuming. He's tired from doing all his duties in Jerusalem. He's got, he's got duties to do when he gets to Jericho. He's got to make his way there. He's got other things to see, other business to get, uh, get done. He can't stop and, and have, a, have a look at this man and help this man and care for him. He hasn't got time for that. And so he passes by on the other side. And then not long after, another man comes along 
a Levite, a priest helper. And perhaps that man, lying, wounded man, sees him as well and is hoping for some help. Surely he will help me. Well, he as well, he came, comes to the man. He comes a bit closer than the first man, the priest. And uh, the, uh, he looks at him, this Levite, and he sees that his, uh, his, his suffering, he knows as well he should do uh, something to help him. But he's afraid. <laughs> he's afraid perhaps the, the robbers may jump on him and attack him, and he's got to get away. But also he feels he's helpless. What can I do to help him? He's going to die anyway. <laughs> he's going to die anyway. Look at him. He's at the end. Uh, let him die. It's okay. Oh, I'm exaggerating a little bit. But he had no care to stop and help this man. He didn't want to get his hands dirty. And so he too passes on, leaving his fellow Jew in this poor and desperate state. Well, is he going to die? Is he going to die? Is this the end of the man? Will no one take pity upon him? Well, here comes another traveler, a Samaritan man. And perhaps again, this wounded man can see him. Oh, he's a Samaritan. I can make it out by his features. And he gives up hope. Perhaps he's not going to help me. Jews and Samaritans, we don't get along with each other. We hate one another. We hate them. They hate us. We try and have as little to do with them. He will not stop and help me. My hope has gone and those two have gone before. What will this guy do for me? But the Samaritan, we read, as soon as he saw the man, the Jew, lying helpless, he didn't see his Jewishness. He saw a man perishing, wounded, needing help, needing rescue, needing relief. He cannot pass by. And astonishingly, he doesn't. He stops. He gets off his, his donkey. And uh, he begins to attend uh, to the Samaritan. He sees the bleeding and wounded man, and his heart goes out to him. He feels for that man. And he alights to help him, and he begins to attend to his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, the, an antiseptic and a, a salve for, for his wounds. And then he muster, musters all his strength to lift up the man and place him on his donkey and make sure that he uh, takes him to the inn. And then even overnight we read that he spent the whole night at the inn, and it prob most probably he was... Uh, taking care of him the whole night, waking up every few minutes, making sure he's okay, making sure he's comfortable, making sure he's not in a, a, a desperate state, taking care of him throughout the night, and the next day, having to move on, he leaves the man in the hands of the innkeeper with those words in verse uh, 35. Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. That was care. That was compassion, friends. And he was indeed the good Samaritan. Well, friends, as we read this, this, is, this is, would have hit home with this particular man, the lawyer uh, who was listening, that uh, this is love. My love should have uh, no limits. Uh, he was thinking, from whom can I legitimately hold back my love? 
And here the Lord tells him, your love, you must be a loving person. It's not, uh, dis love doesn't distinguish and discriminate between people of different race and colors and creeds. Go and do thou likewise. But friends, there is another message in this parable for us. And uh, you see this in the man who is here in this half-dead uh, position. He's lying helpless. And that represents us in our fallen estate. Since we have fallen from God, that, that uh, perfect uh, way in which we were born initially, we've fallen from that. And we've fallen into such a, a place where we are unable to help ourselves, unable to lift ourselves spiritually, unable to get back to God, unable to have our sins forgiven, unable to get rid of a, the wounds of a guilty con conscience and of uh, the wound of condemnation that lies over us. We cannot get rid of these things. We are in a spiritually helpless position. That's a picture of us. Who is going to help me? Who is going to help me? Am I going to die in this state? Unforgiven, condemned of God, judged of God. Is there no one who can rescue me and restore me and grant me relief to my a guilty conscience and troubled mind? Who can help me? Who can save me? Ah, here comes a man who says he can help me. Mr. Humanism. Mr. Humanism comes along. Oh, he's a religious man in his own right because he believes in the scientific method. He believes in reason. He believes there is no God. He believes there is no afterlife. This is his religion. And he believes and he works on that premise all humans are good. All you humans are good. All humans will help each other. Does he not know? All humans are selfish. All humans are self-centered. They are not all good. But this is his religion. All the problems that can be solved by man, all the, pro sorry, the world's problems can be solved by man. We don't need God. Man can do it. Man can find out and figure out a solution by himself. But in this case, what's he going to do? How can he help a man with a guilty conscience, a man who's condemned by God, a man who's on the way to hell? How can he help him? He can't. And he says, just like people, not everyone stops by to help others. He can't help. It's inconvenient for him to help. He's unable to. It's costly. It's time-consuming for um, um, him to help. But also, he cannot help the person because man is, is like that. Humanism, it, we are not all good, and we often avoid helping other people. We often avoid for, because it's, it's easier for ourselves. It's inconvenient to help other people. Humanism, people are not as good as uh, humanism makes out to us. Or following not far behind <laughs> somebody who's closely related to Mr. Humanism, Mr. Atheism. Surely he can help us. Surely he can deliver us from this. After all, he's very confident. He's a very assured man. 
he speaks as if he really knows what he's talking about. You know, he's very articulate. He's so eloquent. Look at the crowds. They all listen to him. He captivates the crowds, doesn't he? This Mr. Atheism. He knows what he's talking about, doesn't he? Does he? Does he know? Well, he takes a closer look at you. He takes a closer look at suffering. And he spends more time gazing at it. And surely he's going to help you, you think. You tell him of your sins and, and guilt and your need for pardon and the clear conscience. He's dumbfounded. <laughs> he says, you just have to die. Suffering is part of life. Guilt is a part of life. You just have to bear with it. There's nothing I can do for you. Atheism can't help us. Atheism can't help the suffering man. It tries to disprove there's God. What can it do with the problems of life? It can't do anything. He passes by on the other side uh, too. But then comes the good Samaritan. And of course, friends, this is a picture of Christ. This is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He sees us in our desperate condition and he feels for us, his heart goes out to us. He saw us when he was in heaven and he saw us fall and he saw the misery and the, the grief and the pain that sin has brought us into and our world into. And he felt for us. He felt for us. He saw us there without strength to help ourselves. We couldn't lift ourselves spiritually. We couldn't even, we had a desire to go after God. And yet his heart still went out to us What's he doing? He, he, what's he going to do? He comes into the world. You know, people said the Samaritan it wasn't usually traveling upon this road. It was unusual to find a Samaritan on this road. And it's unusual, isn't it, friends? What is Christ doing coming from heaven to earth? What's he doing dwelling upon earth? He's come to demonstrate the love of God. He's come uh, to uh, care, demonstrate his love and care for men and for women. He doesn't pass us by. He doesn't turn a blind eye. His love is too great to do that. He comes into the world taking to himself that human frame uh, like we have and going all the way to Calvary's cross and suffering and dying and bearing upon himself the wrath and anger of God that was due unto you and me who trust in him. All that fell upon him so that he may make a way to take away our sins, to heal those wounds of guilt and condemnation, to remove those things, to give us relief from those things. This is what Jesus Christ came to do. This is what he does with those who come to him. He pours into them uh, peace and ease and happiness and joy and forgiveness of sins and acceptance with God. These are what he does. He heals our lives, our broken, ruined lives. Sin has ruined us. He comes to restore us and to give us strength to walk again with the Lord. Oh, friends, this he does out of great love for us. This is what he is like, and he does it freely, no payment. He does everything for us. That good Samaritan, he did everything for the man. That man did nothing in return. He did every, Christ does everything necessary for us. 
everything necessary for our spiritual relief and recovery, everything that's needed to bring us back to God, Christ has done it. Christ has shed His blood. Christ has risen again. Christ is praying for us in heaven. Christ has done these things, friends. All He has done all things well. And He comes to minister to us, to bend down, to look upon us as individuals, and to he sees, uh, well, and perhaps you also feel, what well, there's a great emptiness in my life, there is a great despair in my life, and he comes to heal, to fill that emptiness. And he comes to heal our souls and uh, grant us true satisfaction in life. This is love, undeserved. He is the Good Samaritan. We are his enemies in a sense. He came to save his enemies. He came the extra mile and so much more. Oh, friends, there is no love like the love of Jesus, boundless and pure and free, undeserved. Oh, tremendous things that uh, He feels for us. If we turn to Him, He will save us. He will change us. He will convert us. He will restore us to bring us to a better place. Come to Him, friends. Let Him heal you. Come to Him with nothing. Remember, you can't do anything. Let Him do everything for you. Let Him forgive you. Let Him change your heart. Let Him give you a new spirit. Let Him make you a new man. Let Him make you a new woman. He can let Him allow, allow Him to let you begin life again, a new life. Start all over again. That's what we need. That's what He can do for you. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, how we thank You for these things that You have done for us. How we thank You for coming into this world to save sinful and wicked and evil men like ourselves. And Lord, we thank You for your grace that has healed us, for your attention that you've given to us, for the love that you have shown to us, from which we are ever thankful. May we all come to know it and to receive this uh, healing touch from you. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's close by singing our final hymn, which is number 418. Come, O thou traveller unknown, 418.